All right, guys, you know that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products at a fraction of the cost. This is perfect for any first-time user and for the veteran user. There's no THC. It's locally sourced and third-party tested, so you don't have to worry about paying for any fancy celebrities or a drug test. These guys have something for everybody, and I personally enjoy their products. In fact, my favorite one's the Sleep Aid, so go check them out, happiestmed.com. H-E-P-I-U-S-M-E-D.com right in time for the holiday seasons. Again, go check them out, happiestmed.com and have fun. Okay, guys, uh, you know what time it is. It's time for me to introduce my next guest. Uh, But before I do, I wanted to give a shout out to everybody who's followed me uh, on Instagram uh, and joined my uh, Facebook group. Uh, If you haven't, please do. The group is the Thinking Project group on Facebook. And uh, my Instagram is at Dalton K. Jensen. And uh, you, this is where I, I post everything engaged with you guys. So please do that. Uh, this episode was an, one of my favorite. I got to interview Michael Rodenberg, who I've known for actually quite a while and uh, very active on LinkedIn. So go fi- find him on LinkedIn, Michael Rodenberg. Um, he also wrote a book, a new book last year called Bridge the Gap. And this is how a book on how managers can bridge the gap and they can uh, fix the culture or uh, fix the plan or, or establish the vision of a company. And this is something that Michael Rodenberg does phenomenally. And I actually read the book in a day. So you guys got to go check it out. You can find the book on uh, Amazon or Kindle or anywhere you buy books. Um, you can also check out his website, wecanbridgethegap.com. And that'll be a link in my description. But um, it was a fantastic episode. I really had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, and he was a great interview. So please enjoy and please welcome Michael Rodenberg. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Yeah, all right, let's start this off. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's roll. Let's roll. So you wrote the book, Bridge the Gap. Um, and I guess, so I read it in a day, and I loved it, by the way. Um I guess so. It's all about it's all about keystone leadership. So you you roll into uh, this new company, um, and you kind of set it up in the book. The the company's just got a lot of a lot of issues, right? Yeah. Um, and so what? But let's start here. Like, what was your whole motivation for like writing the book and and getting it out in twenty twenty? Um, well, let's back up real quick. So if I can is, so I came to this company in, in 2011, it was actually a turnaround. So the company had been in existence for 10 years and they had really struggled. And because of some relationships I had with the CEO in Japan, uh, I, I was contacting him. He was telling me about his company was struggling. And I said, well, Hey, why don't you let me come in and see if I can help you? And, uh, he gave me that opportunity. And so, um, back in 2019, um, you know, we've been doing this for, for eight years in terms of turning around the company, we'd seen a lot of success. And, and so in 2018, 2019, I just had this gut feeling. It's like, I've learned some really key principles that I want to share. And, and I didn't know how to do it. And fortunately I had a friend, um, that introduced me to an author 
And she, uh, Stephanie Walkman is, uh, she's an author out there and really, a really great person. I contacted her and he said, Hey, you've got this thing in your head, right? And you can't get it out. And that's really what it yeah. was. Like I had this, I was thinking about it all the time. And, uh, so she gave me some tools to start the process, uh, actually introduced me to an app to kind of get it out there. Uh, on paper at first. And so I did that and I could see it said, okay, well, there's a little bit of content here. And once I started that, um, it just started to happen. Yeah. And I spent, you know, quite a bit of time trying to get my thoughts down on paper. That's really cool. And, you know, I like when, when I like when I interview authors, I really like to talk about the book and how they like get it out there. But I but I also like to just go into everything surrounding the book. Right. So like how we got it started and things like that. And I want to I kind of wanted to focus on because a lot of people um, who listen to my podcast, you know, they're young entrepreneurs, they're young owners. Um, and I like this. I like this story that you tell that you just told and that you told in the book about like, you know, you go up to the CEO and you're like, why don't you let me help? help you? How did that go for you? Like, was it scary for you? Or how did that conversation come up? Did you is that what you wanted to do? Like you knew you wanted to run this company. And so you just found a way to, to sneak in there or, or not sneak in there, but like sneak in the conversation. You know what I mean? You know, I've had a really unique career. And, you know, I started out business uh, dealing with Japan, right out of college. And when I had that experience, I'm like, you know, this is eventually someday I want to run a Japanese company. Oh, and, cool. And that was 20 years ago. Wow. And it seems like every step along the way, I've had these opportunities to learn about Japanese business, to gain experience. In fact, I spent four years working in Japan for a U.S. company. And while I was there, I got to know this company that I'm working for today. They yeah. uh, were actually a competitor. And so I got to know them. And at the time, um, they were going to start up an operations in the U.S. They said, why don't you join us? I'm like, you know, I'm not really interested in doing that right now. I want to do some other things. Uh, I wanted to go off and get my MBA and uh, kind of gain some more operational experience. And um, it was through that process that, you know, I'd kind of developed all these skills over uh, an extended period of time. And then when I found out they were struggling and I found out they were struggling because I always maintain contact with them. Yeah. So, you know, I'd known them in Japan 10 years ago. Well, now it's 20 years ago, but I knew them. <laughs> yeah. And I made, I made the effort to always stay in contact with them. You know, how are yeah. you doing? How are things going on? And so right. I found out that they were struggling. It was a point in my career where I'm like, you know what? I think I'm ready. Yeah. I think I'm ready to lead a company. And so I just um, kind of made this arrangement to meet with the CEO. He'd come over yeah. from Japan to visit this location. And I said, hey, why don't... Uh, you know, we get together, we got together and we did our general introduction. Hey, how things been going, all this stuff. And I said, Hey, by the way, I prepared this presentation that I want to kind of show you what I've been doing over the last 10 years to let you know, I'm ready to run your company. He was like, what? yeah, yeah. He had I bet. no idea. He had right. no idea that I was going to throw this out there. So I just threw it out there. And a month later he came back and he said, okay, come join us. Wow. That's insane. And that, and that, that's the whole idea of, you know, you and I were talking probably two or three months ago about like getting a job and it's the proactive people who get the job, right. Or, exactly. or who get the opportunity. Right. And it, and it doesn't necessarily, and you go through this in your book, right. It doesn't necessarily have to be that idea of, um, you know, of getting a job, but just getting any opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer is that you got to picture it. What do you yeah. picture yourself doing? Yeah. And so often people don't picture what they're doing. They just kind of go, this is what I've got to do. And they're very yeah. specific 
pick. But throughout my career, I'd always do these five-year plans where I said, okay, where do I want to be five years from now? And I'd kind of imagine it. And, yeah. and coming out of high school, I had this cool experience where I'm like, you know, I grew up in a, a small town in Texas. Um, and really, you know, what am I going to do? And, but I had this cool experience where my mother, when I got my first job, she dragged me down to the local men's clothing store. She knew the manager and she said, hey, this kid will do whatever <laughs> you tell him to do. So put him to work. And so I started back in the stock room and then I got to come out on the floor and sell suits to business people. And, and I'm like, That's hey, this cool. is kind of cool. These business guys, this is kind of a cool thing what these business people do. I want yeah. to do that someday. Yeah. So I kind of had in my head, it's like, hey, five years from now, I want to work in a high rise. I want to wear a suit. I want to drive a cool <laughs> car and I want to travel around the world. And, um, you know, lo and behold, I had a few experiences that five years later, I was doing that. That's sweet. And I had no idea that, you know, (laughs) during that period of time, I I learned Japanese. I got a degree from a cool university. And and all of a sudden, I was doing it. And that made me realize is that, hey, through that experience, I then started mapping out every five years that, okay, five years from now, I want to have had this, this type of experience. I want to gain these skills. And I did that time over, you know, time after time. And uh, each one led to another step. Yeah. And so I'm a big, you know, with young people and, and anyone, it's like, well, where do you want to be? Can, can you picture it? Yeah. Can you picture it? Yeah, that's sweet. Well, and that's such good advice, obviously, for for anybody. Um, and 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 just that idea of being able to see it, right? Because if you can't see yourself doing it, because I had a similar experience, right? Where I thought I was going to, I have my accounting degree, thought I was going to be like an accountant and things like that. Um, and I had a picture of what I wanted to do. And so I would try different things. And I was like, man, th- this isn't what I thought it was, right? Like, this isn't what I was picturing. Um, and so, yeah, it, it helped me like veer off onto my own kind of paths, but, um, and, and it totally worked. So is that kind of a similar experience you have when you come when you came into this company um and you know you could see what was going on but you could see what it could become is that is that a similar experience to what you had running this yeah yeah because the because the whole book is based on um you know your experience with running this company and, and bringing it up yeah well um you know when i when i came into the company at the very beginning i knew how bad it was uh, well, at least I had an idea. And I, you know, first, like I talked about the book, I did that objective analysis where you kind of look at how bad really is and you face the brutal truth and look at it. Mm-hmm. But as I dove into yeah. it, um, you know, I sat the management team down one day and I said, hey, listen, you know, we stink. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know it. You've known it all along. It's like you're just enduring it. But how do we picture ourselves five years from now? Can we picture ourselves as being... And at the time, we kind of rewrote our vision to be, hey, we want to be a supplier of choice to our customers, which means that, hey, every time our customers want to source business, they want to pick us. Yeah. And then we want to be this employer of choice, the community, which means that we'll have the best reputation of of any company around. And at the time, we were the worst. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was so bad that our team members would not wear anything with our logo out in the public. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So knowing those things is like, can we picture ourselves five years from now totally opposite where we are today? Yeah. If we can do that, we'll make it happen. 
and uh, and and they and they did, which was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always feel like that's when you talk about, and I'm really glad that we um that we got to do this chat because I feel like a lot of people, when they're starting a business or when they're or when they're an owner or anything like that, like selling that vision, right? of where, where someone wants to be, like, even if they're like a solopreneur, right? Like selling themselves the vision of like where I want to be in five years. Um, even selling yourself that vision is hard, right? Um, cause I think you're like, you're your worst critic, but how was it for you selling that vision to, to a team? And, you know, you mentioned in the book that like the team was pretty skeptical, when, when you came in, right? Like, as I imagine any team would be, I remember working at a, at a dealership where we had like turnover after turnover, like an insane turnover rate of general managers. And every time a new general manager would come in, we'd be like, okay, here we go again. Right. You know what I mean? And so, but selling that vision is always tough. And so how do you approach selling that, that vision to a, a team of maybe they're skeptical or maybe they're just, maybe they're just tired. Maybe it's like, man, you're right. We do suck. And I'm just tired. You know, um, that's a great question because they were tired. <laughs> they were worn out. I mean, they, yeah. they had beaten their head against the wall for such a long period of time. And they're like, we're not making any traction. And, and so what I had to do was gain trust. You know, people aren't going to believe in a vision unless they can trust you. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get some quick wins first. And, and part of those quick wins were, you know, there was such a disparity between the North American team and the, and the team in Japan. You know, communication wasn't that great. There wasn't a great working relationship. A um, lot of mistrust on both sides. And so it was like, what can I do to, to start bridging that gap and, and showing them that, hey, I'm going to protect their interest. I'm looking out for you and I'm going to do whatever I can to help, you know, our parent company understand that you guys are really trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And so there were a few of those steps that we did to kind of let them know that I was serious, that I took my responsibility as a leader serious. And as part of that, you know, I believe that leaders have only two responsibilities and that's to knock down walls and give people tools to be successful. Yeah. So my great. first step was, is what walls could I knock down for them so that they could begin to do their job? Mm-hmm. And, and those little increments started to gain bits and pieces of trust. And once I like, that started, yeah, I like that. once that started, then they could kind of see that, okay, well, maybe, maybe things can happen, but as the leader, and this is why I stress in the book and I, I try and stress to other people, especially leaders, is these are things that only a leader can do. Yeah. You can't delegate this. You can't delegate uh, okay. being the one that that holds the flag and says, hey, follow me. <laughs> right. You know, he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get that to my assistant. Could you do that? I'm going to go off and play golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't, you can't, you can't do, that. do that. You right. have to be the one that that, that is very intentional about knocking down walls and then giving them tools. Because if you do that, then they're like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, this is, this may be worth someone working with. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, and I like that you mentioned quick wins as a way to like gain trust, because I learned that too, you know, when you're running a team and uh, when you have new guys, like those, the quick wins that, uh, that show them like, Hey, you know, this is just a taste or whatever. Like you put in some quick stuff like now, now, now it's time to like actually listen so that we can make long-term like goals. Right. And yeah. long-term chain lasting effects. So I think that's great. And you mentioned um, only the leader can do that. And I'm glad that you kind of clarified that because that was a question when I read that in a book, I was like, okay, I like that, right? The leader has to be the one at the helm. They have to be the one making these decisions. Um, and, and, and I guess I, I just, I love leadership books and Clay Scroggins wrote a book called like how to lead when you're not in charge. Um, and so after reading that book and after reading your book, I got a really good understanding of what you meant in the book of like, there are some things only a leader can do and some things only, you know, a leader can, can gain trust in. Right. And one of those is like building the company and, and, and making it work. Right. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. So you mentioned um, like a lot of timelines in the book. How, how was it for you um, to, because, you know, we both mentioned that we're tired and how was it for you to just be like, you know, give me some time. Let, let's figure this out together. Um, and, and there's a few other, man, I just have so many questions, but like, um, how was that for you to like be able to convince them not only of the vision, but like now they got a vision and now it's like, okay, but this is going to take a little bit of time. And so I need you to be with me. Right. Cause that's always the next hardest thing is like, okay, well, how soon, how quick are you talking about? You know what I mean? Well, I, I think it, it had to be very methodical. Okay. So, you know, the book in itself has four key parts. And, and, you know, the first one is assess the damage, Yep. you know, and, and that was something that we had to do together. And by doing that and gathering the information and looking at it and making sure that they knew I understood what the problems really were. Yeah. You, know, you start evaluating the manufacturing <laughs> operation and evaluating the finances and then, then yeah. looking at the culture. And, and that was something that had never been done before. And when I say culture, it's like you've got multiple yeah. pieces of culture in a business. You've got your management team. And in the case, we had Japanese and U.S. managers. So it's like, okay, that's a big gap right there. That's a big cultural gap. Yeah. And so you got that. Then you've got the culture of the management team with the team members. And then you've got the company's culture with the community. So you've got all yeah. these three areas. And so I had to go out and, and, you know, interview people and talk with people, talk with our customers, talk with our suppliers, people in the community, team members. I mean, I interviewed um, a lot of our team members and they'd never met with someone in management before. Wow. You know, they never sat down with the president of the company and said, hey, you know, um, tell me what's going on. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And, yeah. and, and those were all bits and pieces of information that I was able to gather. And once I did that and presented it to the management team and said, hey, am I right? Is this is this where we're really at? And they were able to go, yeah, you you pretty much got it. So it's like, OK, so we have that understanding. Mm -hmm. And once we had that mutual understanding, then I could kind of, you know, initiate a challenge. And in the book, I talk about this 50 cent piece challenge. Yes. Yeah. I was going to ask about that, but I like that. You mentioned you know, that. Go ahead. And so it was like, you know, I was I was thinking one day, I was like, you know, what could I do? And it just kind of came to mind that, you know, my grandfather had been such a huge influence in my life. He was scrappy. And one of those guys that just, you know, limited education, you know, did the World War Two was, uh, you know, it served our country, came back, started his own business. 
and was relatively successful. And he always worked. He was always, he never stopped doing things. He was always innovative, looking how to make things better. And I thought, hey, that's that's a great example. And the thing that reminded me of him, these 50 cent pieces, he'd always give me a 50 cent piece as a kid and, and said, okay, you know, this is, that's important. And yeah. so I had this, I thought about that. I said, well, what if I give the management team a 50 cent piece? And I said, okay, I tell them the story about my grandfather. And I said, this is the challenge. Take this 50 cent piece, keep it with you at all times. And every time you have it, ask yourself, what are you doing to be better? Yeah. Whether it's to be a better manager, a better team member in the company, a better spouse, a better friend. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, but, but anytime you pick that up, ask yourself, what am I doing to be better? And so that's a challenge I extended to them because that's I didn't know incredible. where we were going to go. Yeah. So, but, but anytime you make progress or, or move forward and change you, it's a one day at a time thing. Yeah. And so it was kind of the challenge to extend to go, okay, you know, let's do this Yeah. one day at a time, get a little better. And, and that's how it started. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, you know, there's, I, I love, I love the story of the 50 cent piece. There's actually a few stories that you tell in the book that I'm like, holy cow, that's really cool. I think one of them that I want to start with, um, you know, you talk about building culture, right? Um, you talk about building culture, like, um, you know, internationally, because you have an international company. Uh, and then I uh, talk about building culture, like with the community. And you mentioned in the book, like, and well, and earlier in the interview, you were like, um, people didn't even want to wear the, the logo outside. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned the story, you wrote about this in your book, the story of, uh, there was like a manufacturing or, or some kind of job opportunity with the local school district and you had, and you met with one of the superintendents or one of the board members and you were like, Hey, what can we do? And they're like, it's not in the budget. And then you found out that it was only like 300 bucks or something to bust yeah, these kids yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, to a manufacturing plant to get, first of all, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. Like that's where we met. Right. Yeah. Um, and I always thought, I thought it was always crazy that they were pushing college on us. Cause like, I'm more like in the middle of the Midwest. Like this is like in the industrial, nation. Like we got factories, we got things that you don't necessarily need a college degree for that you might just need a trade degree for. And so I'm a huge proponent of trade colleges and trade degrees. But for you, what was that experience like when you found out like, I was 300 bucks, like, let's get these kids some experience, like some exposure. So the the way that originated is um, I I was very fortunate. I was involved in in the Kentucky Chamber Workforce Center. I was on the board of directors for this group. It's a uh, it's part of the Kentucky Chamber, but it's a special nonprofit uh, that's designed to help develop the workforce. And so ever since I came to the company here, being in rural Kentucky, you know, we had to kind of figure out, you know, where, where's our next group of a team? Of, where's the next group of technical people going to be coming from? And so uh, I had a lot of different experiences along the way of working with high schools and working with universities. Yeah. But it was just a few years ago. And this is and we were kind of proactive and in, in reaching out and doing a lot of these activities, of workforce development. But I was visiting one of the, the high schools that was a little farther away. We have some local schools and we do a lot of activities. You know, they're coming and doing tours and doing all this other stuff all the time. Yeah. But it was one that was probably about 30 minutes away, but it was in our area. We had employees that come from that area and I was meeting with the principal. And as I was asking her the questions, like, so, you know, why don't you visit us? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you guys? Everybody else, you know, the local high schools are there all the time. You know, elementary yeah, kids, yeah. middle school, high school. And she's like, we don't have the money. And I said, you know, so how much does it cost to get a bus 
and, you know, or whatever you need. And she said, well, right. I need a bus and a substitute. It's like $300. And, you know, from a, a corporation standpoint, we're like $300. Yeah, like that's $300. Pizza. But that's yeah. a pizza party, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we yeah. buy pizza for the office and go, that's 300 bucks. And I'm like, <laughs> so for $300, you're telling me that I could have 30 to 40 kids that are even further in rural Kentucky come through my facility to see what we do. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so at the time I was serving on the board, I went back to the workforce center board and we were having a meeting and I said, Hey, there may be something we can really do to impact kids. And so we were brainstorming and then we came up with this concept called bust a business. Yes. And so that's right. What was unique about that is that, you know, sometimes when you're involved with a nonprofit and you have government involved and schools, it it can take, you can have so much red tape to get something done. Mm -hmm. So we sat in that room and said, okay, this is the concept, bust a business. And I said, okay, let's get the local high school. Let's get us and let's get you workforce center. You've got a film crew. Let's make a video next week. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, we're going to make a video next week to promote this concept. That's and, cool. And we did. <laughs> and if you go to Bust a Business to the website, the Kentucky Chamber Bust a Business, there's the initial video wow. that we created that promoted this concept. And so it was at the end of the school year. Yeah. We used that throughout the summer to promote to local businesses and high schools throughout the state. And in October of 2019, I think we had we had our first Bust a Business Day in the state of Kentucky. Wow. And over a thousand kids that toured businesses for the first time ever. That's and, crazy. Uh, so it went from that, that one idea of just talking to a principal, finding out an issue, and then being able to help resolve that quickly. And that, and that goes back to that concept. These are things that leaders, only leaders can do. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Only leaders can figure out that and get it rolling. Right. Yeah. Because, because you see the whole playing field. You know, yeah. a, a leaders, it's like a head coach. You see everything that's going on and you can quickly make decisions on how to get things done so that something really happens. And yeah. so in a short period of time, we did that. This year, the Bust the Business program, because of COVID, it's like, oh, well, what are we going to do? So yeah. we pivoted to virtual bust of business. Uh, that's cool. And we started with interviews with business leaders throughout uh, the summer because and did that. And now companies yeah. are doing really unique virtual bust of business tours. That's so cool. bringing in cameras and drones and all kinds of things to tour their plant and let kids see what the, what's happening, having interaction like this. And I think we've reached uh, probably over 10,000 kids this year. That's incredible. And that's something, you know, that I mentioned before while I was asking you the question, like a lot of these kids in the Midwest, you know, and well, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be the Midwest. I just use the Midwest as an example because they're like very, you know, their construction's big, factories big, manufacturing's big, wholesaling, things yeah. like that is big out there. And sometimes they're like, man, I don't really want to go to college, but I don't know what it, what's around me. You know what I mean? And I don't really know what it, it's actually like to go to college. I don't know what it's actually like to be in a manufacturing plant. Cause I used to think like, Oh, that was kind of crazy. You know, it's tough work, hard work, but I I visited some manufacturing plants and I'm like, ah, this is actually really cool. And I, you know, I, I could see why this would work for a lot of people. Um, and so I just think that's really cool to give kids that, that vision again. Right. Yeah. Oh, and to me, that's, that's probably one of my biggest passions. Yeah. About helping young no people kidding. understand that you have choices. Yeah. Seriously. The data in the state of Kentucky, 70% of high school graduates after like seven years have not completed anything. 
Wow. So no college education, no certificates, no nothing. And I, when I saw that data, I'm like, hey, we got to fix this. Yeah, seriously. And I'm not going to fix the whole state, but I can at least fix my area. So I started going out communicating to all these high school students. It's like, hey, there are choices. You guys yeah. need to understand that there's so many paths and so many profitable paths. Oh, yeah. Seriously. You know, it's like in our region here, good luck finding an electrician or a plumber. Right. You know, and it's like those guys make our girls, they make, you know, a lot of money. They make change. They yeah, make change. Exactly. Yes, so they it's do. Like, it's like you guys, you know, go and get two year plumbing degree. Go work for someone for a few years. Start your own business. Yeah. HVAC. And, and, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Man. In, in mm-hmm. 10 years, you're making a lot more than, you know, sometimes a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I seriously, though. And you have no but, debt. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have no debt. It was a, and most of those HVAC electrician plumber, their uh, line uh, linemen. Yeah. Most of those are just, they're two years and then you apprentice for a couple of years. I mean, it's no longer than, than a bachelor's or a master's degree. No. And now, and now you're rolling. Right. And most of them, and the better part is like um, a lot of those, a lot of those trade places, they'll be like, Hey, we'll pay for you to go to school or we'll pay a part of it to go to school. Yeah. And so you're like, now you're rolling and it's yeah. that much easier. Yeah. That's really cool. I was really, I was really happy when I saw that in the book. I was like, that's, that's awesome. Um, and, and it just goes again, back to the whole, you know, being able to, to develop a culture. Now I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on just the idea of culture, like in, in a company, right? Because for a lot of people, culture is kind of an abstract idea, right? Like yeah. we think we want it. We think we have it, you know what I mean? But we're not really sure what it is. Um, so for you, like, how do you define a good um, working culture, like and a good culture that helps you advance towards your goals? You know, um, because that's something we really had to work on. And, right. And when I think of culture, it's it's the environment that you're in every day um, that allows you to do your job. Right. So. Yeah. So what is that? You know, so you can go to work and you can hate your job. Of course. So why do you hate your job? Is it a place where you can have open and honest communication? OK. Is it a place where you feel like you're making a difference? Is, is it a place where um, you feel like not only making a difference, but you're you're pro- pro- progressing as an individual? Right, right. And and that, you know, you can do these things, but then you're also able to see your results. Yeah. So yep. without those kind of things, it, it's, you know, so what is there's either good culture, there's bad culture. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, people can say that's abstract, but it's like, you know, some families have good culture. Some families yeah. have bad culture. They do. Yeah. You're so right. it's, it's really culture is the environment that you're, you're in. Yeah. Your environment. And what yeah. are you doing to create an environment where people can thrive? Right. Well, and, and, you know, and, and I think, I love that answer. I think that it's because a lot of people just don't understand, like it, you really don't have to overthink this whole culture thing, right? You just, it's just a place where people can just be comfortable. They can work towards their goals. They got the tools they need to do it. And, and I think one thing that you mentioned in your book that I like about, and, and I don't, I don't know if it was explicitly mentioned in your book, but the way I took it was a good culture is a lot of like automation. Like you mentioned earlier in the, in this conversation, you know, um, of like giving people the tools to do what 
they need to do and then letting them do what they need to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, people want authority mm-hmm. and responsibility. Yeah. You can't give someone responsibility and then not the authority to make the choices that, that right. do the job. <laughs> right. Like, oh, well, here's, here's the responsibility, but come ask me every time you need to do something. Right. It's yeah. like, if that's the yeah. case, oh, don't do, do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, why don't yeah. you just do it yourself? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and I, I tell my team that all the time. It's like they're faced with challenge. I'm like, so what are you guys here for? Yeah, yeah. Why do I need to answer every question? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's part of the culture. Right. Um, creating a culture where people feel like they're empowered to do their job. Yeah. And, yeah. and you just can't just throw that out there and say, okay, everybody has, a, you know, response. Right, free reign to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know, part of the concept of let the horses run. You know, it's like. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It's like, how wide are the rails and where's the goal? You yeah. got to stay within this box. You know, you yeah. get outside the box. It's like, well, that's, you know, that's a problem. We have to address that. Sure. Or you're not progressing towards the goal. That's right. a problem. Right, but right. They, they, they know where they can operate. And that goes back to culture. Yeah. It, is the, the, you know, the, the goals, are they clearly defined? Is your operating space clearly defined? Those are things that, that can attribute to culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had two cultures. We had the Japanese culture and the U.S. culture. And I always loved uh, kind of differentiating that because it was yeah. such a cool way to do it, easy way to do it for me. It's like, okay, here's the, the U.S. culture. And I'd show, you know, our big giant hamburger. And I was like, hey, we're bigger <laughs> is better. We're like, hey, we got to take home a doggy bag or, or we're not, we didn't get the full meal. Right. We, yeah, 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 yeah. I got you for sure. <laughs> you know, we've got this, you know, kind of this cowboy mentality. Uh, we just get her done. I mean, around here, that's, we just get her done. Yeah. And then the concept we're taught as a little kid is just try, try, try until you succeed. Right. So we're taught that you take that on the other side and then you've got the Japanese culture, which is about attention to detail. You know, that one piece of sushi that's like there, it's like, there's so much work that goes into it. Right. Color. And And then you've got the samurai mentality of of duty and honor, you know, Mm. I mean, they just, they're very, very loyal to the company. They have a lot of duty related to the company. And then you take this idea of the pursuit of perfection. Yeah. You look at Lexus, Lexus, that's their whole mantra, pursuing oh, perfection. Dude, Lexus is unreal. I like that part in your book too. Yeah. So it's like you take those, but, but what's cool about culture is that can you combine those two things? Yeah. You don't, you don't have to like go, oh, we're only going to do this culture because that's we're only going to do the Japanese way. And, right. and that's what I try to help my team understand. It's like, you're not Japanese, so don't try and act like <laughs> Japanese. Yeah, for it. sure. You don't, we don't get pursuit of perfection. We just get, we're going to get it done. Yeah, we just, you know? yep. And, yep. and we're going to learn how to pursue perfection. And so we kind of took those together. Right, right. Like, you, know, you know, it's kind of like we're, we kind of operate in a PowerPoint world. Yeah. I like to put one picture on the screen, <laughs> talk about the details. You know, we don't want to tell a big story. The Japanese are like, we're going to put it on an Excel format. Yeah. A great spreadsheet with like 4,000 little details and right. track it. And wow. for me, that like freaks me out. I'm like, I can't do that. Right. But if I can take your, your, your detailed plan and put it on my PowerPoint and yeah. let me talk about it, I'm okay with that. But don't let me, you know. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Where, like, so you, you got to like, yeah, you got to do a lot of like molding and, and meshing. Yeah, that's exactly. Cool. Yeah. But yeah. hey, that that story about Lexus, I mean, that was the same thing when we went to like, uh, you know, uh, Mercedes Benz or Honda or stuff like that. And I know that like those are kind of different, but you, you but you mentioned like the whole production line in your company, the Lexus production line is different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a it's That's, a different 
we've it's it's set up to be that way how cool is that how cool that alexis has built a brand like that like that even in a even in a manufacturing plant their 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 line in that manufacturing plant is different that's cool that it is cool it is cool and that's we were fortunate because i had you know a really key individual that helped us build that mindset because yeah. in the beginning, I didn't even have that mindset. Sure. It was a tough one to get. It's That's yeah. a really hard mindset to get. It was it was hard for me because I'd come yeah. from a, a U.S. publicly traded, you know, manufacturing <laughs> company that, you know, we supplied other people besides Lexus. And it's like, hey, just get them apart. Does it work? Right. Is, yeah, it yeah, yeah. Spec? Is it within, you know, what are the customer asks? Okay, get that. Just get it to them. But with yeah. Lexus, it was like, okay, are there any fingerprints on the part that's going to Lexus? Like, wait a minute. My first response right. is, they're going to wash the vehicle anyway. Yeah, they're going to clean it up. The guy that I was yeah. working with, he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's a whole nother. You want them, you want whoever touches your part to have an experience. I'm like, that's insane. It was. That is was insane. Like, <laughs> so, you know, this is for them. You know, he, he's, I guess, like a teacher. He's a great sensei. He was yeah. a great teacher of, of just what is the customer's experience? Yeah, yeah. And then you got to tour the Lexus plant. Yeah. And when I went, because they're a customer, you know, I've been there yeah. many times. But the first time I went there, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. It's you know, a you different. Walk the, you walk into the entry for where they make the Lexus and you walk into the entry where they make the RAV4. It's two totally different entrances. Different. Yeah. You're walking into, I mean, where do you walk into a manufacturing plant and it looks like a Lexus showroom? Yeah. You know, that's wood, awesome. <laughs> wood floors, you know, but, beautiful trim, vehicles laid out. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I like that. I like one of the things I learned in the car business was like these high line manufacturers like Benz, Beamer, Lexus, yeah. Acura. I mean, their, their whole brand is like around that experience that you get it because, and I remember having this conversation, like, I think this is a pretty cool story that I'll never forget in my whole life. But we had a guy who was selling cars with us and he was young not married, no kids. I mean, just this, and he was making a lot of money and he thought he had it all right. Um, and by the way, and, and so he goes out and he gets this, um, <clears throat> he gets this like really nice Mercedes Benz. Yeah. And like a lot of the us who've been in the car business for a while, we were like, we were like, okay, but you know, like Mercedes Benz is like, you don't, it's not just a car. And and when we told him that he, he kind of got like kind of weirded out and we were like, you know, it's not a car. Like you don't buy a Mercedes Benz and then go shop at Walmart. You know what I mean? And that's a weird, that, you know, that's a weird, obviously a weird analogy. I know plenty of people who do that, but, but it's that idea of like, um, that we were talking to him about that idea of like, no, Mercedes Benz is like this lifestyle. And by the way, and then we, and then we got into like, and plus it's expensive, bro. Like each one of those wheels and rims was about five g's and yeah. the second you blow a tire on that like <laughs> can you afford it because like <laughs> yeah, yeah. then he got scared an oil change you go to yeah. the dealer, oil change you know yeah but anyway it was cool because we were like we even we knew like i've never owned a mercedes-benz or anything but even we knew we were like that but it, you know it's not about the car it's a mercedes-benz is a lifestyle lexus is a lifestyle yeah and uh and just to and and hearing reading that in your book i just like solidified it. in fact i was telling one of my friends that story the other day i was like did you know that even lexus like those guys those guys bleed perfection i'm like e- lexus even in in a in a manufacturing plant they're their process line is different. I was oh, like, yeah. holy cow. If you, if you saw the attention to detail, you know, you look at lines on a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. The gaps. 
I mean, we're talking, yeah. I mean, not even millimeter. We're just like talking hairlines. It's like that, that, right. that gap off. And I'm like, where, where is it off? I can't see it. He goes, well, you can see it right there. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't see it, but you're right, buddy. Let me go fix that, dude. <laughs> well, no, we'll take care of it. <laughs> that is so Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about that. And there was another part, um, you know, there's so many, there's so many good, good things, but like, um, you know, your, your 50, your 50 cent piece challenge. How did, how did they, how did your managers like that? I've, I've tried to do stuff like that in the past. Um, but it seems like you you got a pretty good response out of it. Well, I tell you this, if for a lot of those managers yeah. that, um, that exist in our company that were there at the time and I'll, and I'll pull mine out right here. Yeah. <laughs> I've got mine. I keep it in my wallet all the time. I've had the same 50 cent piece for like 10 years. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and you can go ask them. Yeah. And it's right there. Oh, that's awesome. So, so they, they, they bought into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, and that, and that's such important, like buy-in and buy-in when you're, when you have a team is just like, if you're not ready to go a hundred percent and you, well, and you actually met, uh, there were a couple of times you told that story in a book, a couple of people didn't know if they were ready to go a hundred percent. And, yeah. uh, and so you had to, you had to deal with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that goes back to culture. Yeah. 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 I like that is some people don't always fit in your culture. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are team players. You almost, you, sometimes you have to go, you know what? It's not going to work out. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's help you go somewhere else because okay. you're going to be unhappy and the team's going to be unhappy. And then it causes a really kind of a dysfunctional culture mm-hmm. when you have individuals that don't buy into where they want to go. Yeah. They don't want to be with the group. And so it's like, Hey, we're going to have to help you find a new opportunity. And yeah. we've had to do that a couple of times. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how does that conversation go as a, as the CEO of that company? How does that conversation go with one of your, you know, your mid-level upper level managers? Like, how do you have those difficult conversations? Well, I mean, you know, like in any situation, you bring it to someone's attention Yeah, and, and you coach them. You, you really, you know, it, uh, I believe you get multiple chances mm-hmm. because sometimes people don't identify with it. And so did you make sure that they understood it clearly? Yeah. Are they willing to commit to it? And if they're willing to commit to it, um, you know, give them that opportunity to try. Yeah. But, but if they if they don't commit to it or they do it, they say they will and then they end up they don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, the conversation is is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah. And, and in many cases, they decide for themselves what they want to do. Right. Right. It's too hard. It's yeah. you no, know, it's like, yeah, you don't want to be a part of a team where you don't fit in and you don't fit in because you don't want to fit in. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> such a hard. Well, and then some people will just some people like you mentioned in your book, a lot of people were there just, you know, they were scared, but they stayed there because they were just trying to collect a paycheck. And I feel like as a as a manager, you know, you have that kind of thing where it's like, I might not want to be here, but I don't know any better alternative, you know, so I'm just going to like dig my heels in and kind of fight, even though I really don't want to be here anyway. Um, and so you giving them the opportunity to like, go and think about, it. you know, you mentioned a couple of times where you like, Hey, you got to go home and think about this for a minute, man. Like you yeah. just got to go clear your head. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like go no, clear your no, head, no. man. Just get out, no, I mean, get out. And if you want to be here, sweet. And if not, no worries. Yeah. It's a great, <laughs> I, think, I think because what it does is it gives people the sense that first of all, you care. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't care, just get out. 
It's right. like, no, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Do you want to be a part of it? Think about it. And if you don't, if you come back and say, hey, I don't want to do it, it's like, cool, then how can we help you? Right, right. That's a, no, it's a good, and I feel like if a lot of more, if a lot more people thought about it like that, you know, and had options and had help and had things like that, that, you know, you can just create a really good, well, and then, and then I think that goes back to how you create open and honest communication. Like, you know, you know, the CEO is not going to bite your head off if you, you know, if you make a mistake or if you, or if you have a different idea or something like that, right. Um, He's there to like, we're just here to help. Like, we just need to get this, sh- you know, ship rolling. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to shoot the messenger. That's never any good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. and that's really yeah, an issue. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I'm reading this great book right now by Marshall Goldsmith called, called what got you here won't get you there. Oh and it, yeah. And it's directed towards really business leaders that, you know, they're the first half of their career. And he kind of talks yeah. about, Hey, here's all the collateral damage you've done to get to where you are, <laughs> but, but you're not going to be able to continue that form of operation and go to the next level. And so that's one right. of the, one of the things in there is don't shoot the messenger. Right. Business leaders do you come in the office and you know, we don't want to give the boss bad news. But yeah. 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 Don't give him bad news. It's like you better fix the problem because if you give him bad news, he's going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's never any good, but that's, that's part of those, a tendency of sometimes business leaders is, you know, we don't want to hear bad news. And if you bring it to us, we're going to knock you down. Right. Um, you know what? I was actually going to ask you that question um, because I thought it was, I thought it was important for a lot of people um, to, to kind of like get this idea, right? So you're in this, you're in this, uh, you come in as a new CEO, you've got a lot of pushback. Um, why do you think two questions like how, you know, we talked about how it was, how, how to get that vision back on track and how to get people on your team. But why do you think so many, so many like mid-level managers and, and these kind of upper level, you know, direct reports, why do you feel like it's such a hard time? Like, why do you think there's such a hard time having open and honest communication and just being like, Hey dude, here's, here's where we're at. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but this is a, this you is know, an I, issue. I, the thing that I've learned, and this is why, you know, when I talk about the concept of bridge the gap okay, and, and the keystone, you know, I start off and talk about this bridge and, you know, a keystone is what holds up both sides of the bridge. If it's right there, anytime, anytime you have a, a rock formation like that, <clears throat> that keystone holds both sides up. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a leader, if you're not willing to be in that position, that everything around you is unstable. So, you know, senior level managers, mid-level managers, <clears throat> they can want to build trust all day long. Yeah. But if the individual at the top is not making that a priority, then it's next to impossible. Right. Right. So they they have to they have to be able to trust the person at the top and know that that individual is going to be able to help move things forward. Yeah. Because it just trickles down. Right. Right. If there's mistrust at the top, if there's there's not a clear direction. And, and if yeah. that's why I think that, you know, the whole idea that a leader that bridges the gap, you know, you've got a, a broken organization in order to revitalize it. You have to be willing to hold up both sides. Mm, yeah. And, and, and when I say both sides, it's like, OK, here we are. And where do we want to get to? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in order to, to get to that location, the, 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 the leader has got to be willing to take on that role. And if they don't, then 
no matter what everybody else tries, it, it just, it never gets real traction. Right. Well, yeah, we have garbage in garbage out. Yeah. But if you're getting, if you're getting, if you're getting crap from like bad information, you're going to make bad decisions. Right. Yeah. 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 That's well. And that's, and that's just one thing that, um, I just, I've seen in a lot of like companies where like the, the managers are afraid to like tell the truth about a situation. And then, and then you end up having this huge meeting where like, you know, it's just like this terrible meeting and you're like, well, none of that was true anyway. So this, there's yeah. really no point to this meeting. <laughs> you well, know what I'm saying? Necessary if we would have just talked about it when it was a little issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you identify, you talk about in your book, um, identifying critical mission uh, um, assignments and then critical mission like people, like in certain assignments, right? Well, I I think in every business, there are certain things that that are kind of the heart of an organization. Yeah. So for us, we're a manufacturing plant, we do injection molding, we paint, we assemble. And as we did our objective analysis and looked at the facts, we realized that we were getting killed and our paint department, we were just not, oh, yeah. our, our production, you know, our, our quality was horrible. Our productivity was bad. And, you know, we have to get parts from our injection plant to paint. And if we mess up all the parts in the paint department, then they have to go back and do them again. And that means parts aren't going out to the assembly plant. And so they're standing around doing nothing. And so all of a sudden it was like, Hey, this paint thing's kind of mission critical. Yeah. 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 And if, and, and so we had to look at it objectively and go, okay, do we have the right equipment? Is, do we have everything we need to make it successful? So the team has the right tools. Is their yeah. equipment the right is being taken care of? And so we had to address that and make sure yeah. it was right. And then we had to go, do we have the right people? These technical Doing people, it. Going, yeah, yeah. going back to your point earlier about, you know, trade school is that we had to have the best technicians. Yeah. And, it, and so it started in the paint department, then it went to the injection area, then it went to our maintenance department and our engineer. All of a sudden, these technical people had to be, these are mission critical. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we can bring someone in to our facility and they can learn to assemble a part or inspect a part in, in a few days. Yeah. If you want someone to operate a robot, <laughs> understand the material that goes into that robot, that takes years. Yeah, no kidding. So, so all of a sudden, this process was mission critical, and the people that worked in that area were mission critical. Yeah. And so, and that's in any organization. So when you do yeah. that, and, and that kind of goes back to, you know, build the foundation. When we talk about, you know, the second part of bridging the gap is build the foundation. That was, that's what it was for us is identifying mission, mission critical cr- process yeah. and, and mission critical positions. And that was what was, I think every business or organization, you know, you have to do that. Well, yeah, I, I, I like that you mentioned that because going in and, and, and trying to write the ship in a company starts with figuring out who, you know, who the most important things are, what yeah. the most important things are. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that. Well, so let me ask you this, uh, uh, aside from your book, you mentioned one, but I always like to ask this when, when we're talking to leaders, because I've, I always feel like, um, it's just fun for me because I like to read. But what what book do you recommend the most when you're talking about leadership to people? And I love um, Patrick Lencioni. Oh, I li- uh, yes, you mentioned him. In your book. I love those guys. Uh, Patrick's amazing. Jim Collins. Um, you, you did you give your team the the five dysfunction or the yeah. 
the five dysfunctions of a team. Of That's a team. The first book, you know, I read that. That is I, a good I one. Gave too. it to yeah. my team, and they're like, "Hey, who wrote a book about us?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you was, said that in your. I was like, it was "Holy so cow!" So I love. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean that that, um, <laughs> and I really like three authors. I like you know Patrick and okay. really four now, but uh, Vern Harnish, who does scaling up. Okay. About how to you know help to take your business to the next level. Um, you know, Jim Collins, good to great. Um, we did That's a good one. Speed of Trust was a great one. Okay. And we took our team through the Speed of Trust program through Frank, Franklin Covey. Oh, wow. And that was a painful process. If you want I bet it was. Your oh, team, have, take them through that and watch them really uh, squirm. Well, yeah, I think there's something very sacred about that. I've said it on my podcast a couple of times, but I think there's something very sacred about getting your butt kicked and having oh to, and, and having to squirm, man. You know, <laughs> you taking, learned <laughs> taking two leaders that hate each other oh. and then have them sitting across the table and really tell their whole, their, their real feelings towards one another. I mean, it's, it's tough. That's messy. But it's messy, but I can tell you what, when you do it and it works, those two leaders become superstars. Wow. Cause, yeah. because you don't necessarily have to like, yeah. Cause you kind of teach that process of like, we, we don't really have to do all these superficial things that everybody talks about. We just have to understand each other and empathize with each other. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I can have empathy for somebody um, and really work well with them, even though I may not agree with a lot of their, their decisions that they make, but that empathy that comes into play when you sit down and you hear everything, you're like, man, yeah, you're right, dude. You know, I've had those where like somebody told me something and I was like, I wanted to get mad, but there was no way I could get mad. Cause I was like, that's true. Right. Like yeah. if you only care about the truth, <clears throat> right. If somebody's telling you something that's not true, doesn't matter. Somebody's telling you something that is true and that's nine times out of 10. It's true. Right. That's tough, man. It is. That's it's painful. Tough. That is painful. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing your whole story. Like, um, I'll, I'll end with this. The first thing, two things. The first thing is like, what's the main message you want people to get? You know, you're writing this book, you're starting to take traction off it, you know, with it, marketing it and everything you're on your first podcast. (laughs) Thank you, by the way. Um, what's the main message you want people to get? Like if there was like a 30 second, like, this is it, this is what you need. Is that, um, first of all, that if you're a leader and you're dealing with an organization that's struggling, is it hopefully you can utilize this as a tool? That's, that's the whole reason I wrote it. Is it there are principles that I learned and I, and I found to be successful? And, and that's why I made it really simple. Mm-hmm. Simple read. You got a couple hours. You can read through it. The pen, principles can be applied. Uh, but if you're struggling with an organization, is that, uh, you know, look around you. There's a lot of tools are out there and this is just one of them. Yeah, that's great. And then how do people find your book? Like uh, what's your website? Where do they buy it? Where do they go get it? So uh, there's a website, we can bridge the gap.com. Okay. That's I'll, a put that in, I'll put that in the notes. Yeah, please do. Um, and, and that's where you can go. And there's also in that website, besides the location to buy the book, it talks about the principles and um, there's some video clips in there that talk about Ooh. it. So, uh, yeah, so that and then it's, of course, through that you can access Amazon and Barnes and Noble and and wherever they do it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for everything. Um, and I appreciate you being here. Hey, Dalton. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it so much.